welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. Hi and welcome to the Well Life Tribe podcast, One Size Does Not Fit All. Today with me, Kat, and my sit-in host, Dina. Welcome, Dina. Hello there. Oh, we're in the studio today, <laughs> aka my attic. Um, welcome. Um, how's your week been, Dina? Well, I am super excited, although I probably don't sound it, but I am super excited because I've been released from quarantine. Yeah, so, you've done your full 14 days yes, in prison at home. Yes, yes. Did you feel like you've um, been set free or was not oh, that bad? No, totally felt like I've been set free. I'm really excited to be out and I've booked in so much stuff. I'm now overwhelmed with appointments and whatnot, but yeah, oh my God, feels like a second lease of life. <laughs> was parts of it nice? No. <laughs> okay. Full <laughs> honest transcript here. And I'm also hearing that actually a lot of people aren't sticking to it. Oh, really? What the? Mm, yeah. Sneaking but, out. Is that because they're not being policed properly then? Probably. We weren't contacted at all. Um, and they say they're contacting one in five. So stands, you would have thought maybe between us we'd have been... Anyway, but no, we weren't contacted, so maybe it's not being policed. I don't know. But I, I do um, think about how does it get policed, mm. though, because how can they get that many staff to do that? Where mm. are they going to go from? You know, like, it's, you know, yeah. a lot of it doesn't really add up. Yeah. Um, Even text, automated text, that's how they could at least scare you into uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thinking they're keeping tabs on you. But no, I am released and making the most of it. Yeah, back out into the the wet weather because you had three weeks away actually so that's quite a long time isn't it yeah and it was lovely and warm so it's a bit odd now coming out and wearing being all masked up but um yeah yeah i know it is what it is i'll be interesting to see how long we actually have to do that for mm. still um oh did you hear scotland are um thinking about whether to introduce masks for school children oh so, Gosh, it's yeah. another level, isn't it? Although apparently research suggests that if you wear a mask, you're less likely to socially distance yourself. So maybe it's not so good wearing a mask and it's better just to keep away from everyone. But Yeah, and there's so many sort of different psychologies mm. behind it, isn't there? How to people thinking. I mean, I personally think they did it initially to get people with fear out into the shop so they would start spending um, because I was happy when I was, you know, like, yeah. but each to their own. I mean, everybody's falling into different categories really with this now, aren't they? Yeah, totally. But we are think all thinking about the return to school um, and how it's going to be and how it's going to be for the kids. So Yeah, my kids are very excited to uh, return to school um, and I think it's good for them. We're back in the phase of ordering school uniform at the moment which is a little bit boring but actually has to be done um and we've realized that because like my daughter hasn't been to school for six months mm. you know she's completely changed shape since the last time she was back at school yeah shoe size um yeah but like in terms of also kids recently have just got their exam results through um i watched a bit of that on tv um and also um I, we were really lucky last week because we got a uh, lady join our panel on well life drive actually who is all about helping teenagers which i actually thought was really niche mm. um and i'll introduce her when she joins officially mm. um but that sort of leads us really nicely 
where we're going to be talking today, but we've got a really special guest in today who I'm really excited to introduce because um, when I read her story, um, it was extremely inspirational. Although there was a, a tragic reason beginning, I think, you know, I want to sort of introduce um, uh, the lovely Liz Cashin. Liz, welcome. We are so honoured to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I loved hearing you chat. I love the mobile phone as well. You're keeping it real, lady. Uh, uh, I'm trying to tell her. I've told her about a hundred times about Do Not Disturb. I don't know that she knows where it is. <laughs> it's a newbie thing. Yeah, we keep it real. <laughs> Liz, I'm um, so, so glad that you've come on. I feel really honoured because, you know, you're an award-winning author. Do you want to tell us what it is you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I published a book last year. It's all about my life journey, um, but really focusing on the lessons learned. And that was something that I feel quite passionate about. Uh, brought me here today. Um, I'm a speaker, so I speak about mental health and well-being. Um, I work with women. I love working with women. Um, women who know in their hearts that their potential is greater than their current reality. I think that was me for such a long time. Um, yeah. So I work with women doing coaching and workshops and different trainings around that, as well as going into the corporate world, raising awareness around mental health and also um, speaking to teenagers. Right. I mean, that leads us into um, your backstory, actually, really nicely, um, because that your, your backstory before we're about to go into it was the one where I read it and I was because normally uh, I will say that normally you read about people having illnesses all the time and all sorts of things which actually are becoming more and more familiar to us all the time um but yours is very different very shocking you know like all kind of things that people just don't expect to read about do you want to tell us about it yeah, sure. Um, so I had, a, I had a, a difficult childhood in many different ways. And my background story was that I had a very emotionally abusive stepdad who, who drank far too much. And as his drinking increased, so did his moods. And I would often be at the, the sharp end of that. So I, I had quite a low self-esteem. I developed kind of a negative self-image um, growing up because of that. And then when I was 13, I did took part in something which every, I think most 13 year olds would do is take part in their school sports day. And I really um, got a lot of recognition through sports at that point in my life. So I really kind of thrived on that. And um, I'd been selected in the months previously to, to be on the javelin team and I'd thrown in competitions against other schools. And it was, you know, the recognition, as I say, that I, that I thrived on at that point. And so, it was our sports day and I'd been selected to throw the javelin from my schoolhouse. I was really excited to go to school that day, thinking that I, you know, had a good chance of getting a medal um, in the event in the afternoon. And we went to lessons in the morning. Then I walked across um, the far field, the boys field for the javelin event in the afternoon. I waited for some other girls to take their throw. I went to an all girls school. And then I took my throw and at first it was going straight and then at the very last moment it veered to the right and unfortunately the school had put some of my classmates out on the field to mark the throw and a friend of mine Sammy was there and she, she was distracted she wasn't looking for some reason and so the, the javelin was heading 
right towards her. And I had a brief moment because we all screamed her name and I thought she'd seen it, she kind of ducked. So I had that kind of brief moment of thinking, oh, that was close. You know, have you ever had those moments? Mm. You think, oh, that was close. And then the horror as it, as it struck her in the head. Um, and then I just, the shock for me at that point was just overwhelming, as you can imagine. And yeah. I remember- I actually just, can't <laughs> imagine because you were so young. Yeah. So young, 13, yeah, exactly. And basically, the, if in, uh, four days later, she died in hospital um, from her injuries. So I was just thrown, really, into this completely different world. Even though I'd been, you know, low self-esteem before that, this was just, just threw me into a, a, just a completely dark world, I think is the best way to describe it. And there was no counselling in the 80s. Um, mm -hmm. so I couldn't even talk to anybody about it. And my stepdad banned uh, my friend's name from our house. I couldn't even talk about it at home. Was so your mum around? Mum was around, but of course, it, you know, she was in an abusive relationship. And now I know about coerce and control. And, you know, he was very manipulative. And so she had her own challenges, I think. So there was, there was nobody really there for me, as there would be now. I think, you know, in a school these days, you'd have an army of counsellors going in and you know, everyone who was involved would probably get counselling. But back then it was just a completely different story. And so I used to write letters to Sammy in my bedroom. I used to write to her and express my feelings that way, which much, much later when I got help in my late 20s, they said that that was the healthiest thing I could do because at least I was finding a way to express mm. my regret. And, you know, I just kept saying how sorry I was and... Um, because 13-year-olds can't make, well, who can make sense of something yeah. like that? Which Such is so a horrific. tricky age, though, as well, isn't it? Such a tricky age, exactly. And, and, and also what I know now, which I only learned a few years ago when I was diagnosed uh, at 47 with post-traumatic stress disorder. I've been living with that for over 30 years. But I realised then that um, blaming yourself when there's a trauma is a common reaction, whether you're a child or an adult. It's very yeah. common for people involved in a trauma think there's something wrong with them this is yeah. why this has happened because it doesn't happen to other people and so I had all of that going on as well as my background story and um, I think it shows you know the deep inner strength I think we all have for me to be here um, and talking yeah. to you and, and having found a way through um, but we can talk about that in more detail but yeah. um, I think one of the things that fascinated me about that story actually as well was the support from Sammy's parents yes yeah, definitely. Um, from the right from the beginning, um, they never blamed me, not once. They just wanted to know what had happened and how it had been allowed to happen. That was their that was their driving force. They didn't want to sue the school. They just wanted to know what had happened. And so compassionate towards me that even at the funeral, they came to find me so that I could go and sit with them. Um, oh, that's a really huge they, thing, actually, isn't it? Oh. It's massive and it's only as an adult when I really started to unpick it all I think that's I think if they hadn't have been like that I'm, I'm not sure how I would be now you know I think even though I couldn't couldn't take their compassion at the time because I just felt so overwhelmingly guilty I just thought well you obviously can't see what an evil person I am you know this is what was unconsciously going mm -hmm. on for me all these people who are being compassionate they obviously don't understand that there's something inherently wrong with me you know they're going to find out everyone's going to find out and so kind of living with that for decades actually yeah, living with yeah. that people were going to find out actually that I was really a, an evil person 
And how was it when you when you went back to school? What was that experience like? Because it happened just before the summer holidays, because, you know, sports days happen in the end of July. And so um, I'd had like that six week break. Um, and then I walked in and there was an empty chair and desk in the classroom where she would have sat. So that was very difficult. But it it was very strange because there'd been some girls picking on me before this had happened. Um, and all that stopped. It was like, but I felt like I was in, I felt like I was in a goldfish bowl. It, like everybody was looking at me, uh, but nobody was talking to me about it. I, thought, I think because nobody knew what to say back then, you know. It's, yeah. But um, my mum said to me, all the teachers are keeping an eye on you. So I felt like everyone was just looking at me mm. the whole time. It was just magnifying my feelings of shame and guilt and blame. Um, so I, I think I, you know, we're very resilient. Uh, I think children are very resilient. And I think in order to survive and just to get through, split off a part of my mind. You know, with post-traumatic stress disorder, part of our mind is frozen. So part of me was still frozen back in the moment that it happened. Um, but it was like, in order to survive, I had to, I had to split off from that part of me yeah. just to keep functioning. So I never felt alive, not fully alive. I never felt any sort of happiness I felt really disconnected it felt like I was living in like a perspex block and I could see other people and life but I couldn't quite get to it yeah. um I'd ha I had a lot of rage I didn't sleep well um and this was on top of all the stuff with my, my stepdad as well but and did he just get worse after or he just got worse he just got worse yeah he got worse throughout my teens um and my you know, my mum ended up having more and more difficulties herself from the relationship that she was in. Um, but when I was just turned 17, I had had enough of him and the way he was treating us. Uh, and my, I'd really wanted my mum to leave him, but, you know, she didn't have the strength to do it at that point. So I went to Citizens Advice and asked them if they could take me out of the house I was in. So they put me in a flat, mm. um, like a sheltered housing. Yeah. So I was living uh, with another girl who had mental health issues but to me it was like it was in this council flat in a, the worst part of a, our local biggest town but for me it was heaven you know yeah, I was out mm. of this saying something, isn't mm. yeah exactly um but again it was that strength I think you know that strength I just came to the point where I thought I just I, I just had enough it was like something snapped in me and I thought if I'm gonna get my a-levels uh, and get away to university. I've got to get away from him first, otherwise it's mm -hmm. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think I focused everything onto my exams just because I knew it was my escape route out. And I also felt that I owed it to Sammy, that, um, you know, that I needed to do well for her. I felt some sort of responsibility, I think, around that, um, mm. looking back. So still at this point, though, you hadn't really got any help or spoken to anybody even when you'd moved out here, but you know, the fact that you went and you were thinking about your exams and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that in itself is, is remarkable actually in the way that showing that you you had some steely strength going yeah. on there. Resilience. Yeah, definitely. And I'd been to see a doctor when I was 14, my mum sent me and um, you can imagine at that point I was very much holding the trauma and he said, why are you here? I said, my mum thinks I've got depression. And he said, depression, my dear, is a serious clinical condition. I don't think you're depressed. Yeah. He sent me out without even asking me anything about what had happened. Oh. So that really damaged me for a long time about 
seeking help. Well, um, of course, if that was a doctor you were meant to go and trust and yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, exactly. I think as we're learning, you know, uh, a mm. GP is a GP, which is very thinly generalized and they do a fantastic job, but there are other people who are specialized in this. But at that point of time in the eighties, you wouldn't have known that really, would you? Cause that was your only hub to go to. It was. And then over the years I've been, I've had a few bouts of what I thought was uh, depression, but now I know it was PTSD flare ups. Um, but when I actually went a few years ago to my GP and asked him if I asked him if I could have an assessment for PTSD and he actually was amazing, such a compassionate doctor. And he said, he apologized on behalf of the medical profession and just said, I'm so sorry that nobody has thought to send you for an assessment before now. Um, and so I went for the assessment, the diagnosis, and then I got some specific trauma treatment, which is what I needed um, in order to kind of process everything. But and that, that, I think that's part of my messaging, really, is, you know, so many people are struggling, you know, especially with COVID this year. Mm. People who hadn't even really known what anxiety or depression was before, you know, a lot more people have been going through it this year. And, you know, there are ways out of it. This is the thing. I hope, I hope that I can be a beacon of hope to people and, and show that there are things that you can do, A, to reach out to get help and keep reaching out if you don't get the right help. And also there are things you can do to keep maintaining and supporting your own mental well-being um, and yeah. that's you know I do that on a daily basis now I've got got things in place so I prioritize so tell us that. about what it is that you do now yeah so I do um, as I say I do uh, coaching programs um, with women and um, I also do uh, workshops around stepping more into your power um, power and flow was my last workshop I think there's so many amazing women who you know are not haven't yet realized their full potential and you know we've all got these things holding us back i had my own stuff and other women have got their own issues but i find there's real power in women coming together yeah it's real support yeah when they really um, show up for each other that's that's when they really power, show up for each other yeah and i've done some online workshops and you know initially i thought is this going to work but actually that um that level of support and coherence um, with women still carries on whether it's like in person or on the internet or, or wherever it is but i just there's something about i think women for so long we've been suppressed by i was with my stepdad and just culturally you know and i think there's this big shift happening at the moment so but that working with women is kind of what really brings me the most alive, I think that's the best way to describe it. I also do my corporate work and working with teenagers, which is around the mental health and well-being piece. And I, I really love that work because it's it's challenging the stigma and it's raising awareness. But it's the and when work you work with, with teenagers, women. do they do you share yeah. your story? It depends on the context. Some some youth organisations I've worked with, I've thought it was a bit you know it was too hard hitting to um because sometimes i worked with vulnerable young people but other times when i have shared with vulnerable young people it's been like kids company used to be in camberwell i don't know if you remember it, in southwest yeah, london yeah. did amazing work i was so sad when that um closed down but one day i went there and just gave a talk uh, to a room full of teenagers and afterwards and there was boys there who'd just come out of um a gang mm -hmm. and the staff said they couldn't believe a that they stayed in the room and b at the end they stood up give me a standing of you know standing ovation they were the first ones wow and they and they said to me all the kids are queuing up outside would you mind you know letting them talk to you and I think because I have experienced such trauma and they were experiencing that in their own lives 
mm. but um, there was that real connection. So I think we need to do more, more programs for teenagers and young people to, to more fully equip them and for them to realize that there's nothing wrong with them. That was a key realization I had just a few years ago when the therapist said to me, you had a normal reaction to an abnormal event. Mm, and yeah, I had classed yeah. myself as abnormal mm. rather than the event. Mm. And I think we look at teenagers and there's this perfectionist ideal that's an illusion anyway that they're all striving for. And, you know, no one wants to be vulnerable, but actually it's the vulnerability that really is the key to everything in being able to get the right help and to find the connections that you want. So, yeah, again, I love to just maybe offer that beacon of hope to teenagers that I was in that place. There was so much, so much going wrong in my childhood and, and, and I've still managed to find a way eventually yeah. and into yeah. a more uh, happier and balanced place. Yeah, it's interesting with teenagers, actually, because I've had a few conversations with a couple of experts about it. And I do feel really sorry for 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 where they are at that age, because as well, just it's not also people tend not to understand them. that They're labeled, aren't they? All of this stuff goes on. But also there's nowhere for them to go. I mean, they're in such a mid ground that, you know, like, whereas... I don't know when we, you know, there's, there's not even youth clubs oh, available. Yeah, there's youth. nothing anymore mm. for kids to go. Where do they go? And they can't go to the pub because that's illegal. <laughs> you know, cafe yeah. near, you know, yeah. and even now it's just trickier, isn't it? It's so difficult. I mean, all the government funding was pulled um, for youth clubs, most of it um, recently. And now with COVID, you know, I felt particularly for teenagers, especially in abusive and distressing environments. You know, where were they going to go? But we really need to look at also, you know, all the stuff that I've learned as an adult that really supports my mental well-being now. I call it my mental well-being maintenance program. That all things, why aren't we taught that at school? You know, if we could teach kids all of these things from a young age, then we could grow up having the tools so that when, you know, life, we can't control life, no matter how much I tried to control life for a long time after uh, the trauma, because the illusion of having control made me feel safer on some level, but it was just an illusion. We can't control life. Life is going to keep ebbing mm. and flowing. Things will always come out of the blue, but we can build our inner resilience. We can have our toolkit, we can know where to turn if things go wrong. And yet we've had all this as a shameful secret. You know, this was my shameful secret for so long. So many of us are struggling and yet we, we're too ashamed to reach out for help. What is that all about? You know, it's how have we created this whole way of being that we can't just fully be ourselves, that we have to be happy. And if we're not happy, then that's something to be ashamed of. Mm. You know, we, as human beings, we've got a whole spectrum of emotions. And it, for me, it's been about embracing every single one of them. So my happiness doesn't depend on the absence of painful emotions. It's actually become turning towards those painful emotions. And when I, when I hold myself, when I'm feeling bad, that's a level of happiness because mm. it's, it's, I'm not rejecting myself anymore. We're, we're rejecting ourselves in so many different ways. And then we self-medicate. Mm. You know, I took a lot of ecstasy in my twenties because it was the only relief from the pain that I'd had. So yeah. I didn't want to stop taking it. And I felt a connection to people, even though it was a false connection. Yeah. You know, I can understand why teenagers take drugs because I, I you know, I took them um, for the same sort of reasons, but you know, so many of us, we've normalized having a few drinks every night, mm -hmm. you know, because everybody does it, but actually mm -hmm. are we masking something? You yeah. know, if we're, 
I mean, it's okay to have, I'm not saying don't have a drink, but if you're having a few drinks every night, if it's getting more, if you're actually doing that to mask the fact that you're actually exhausted or that you're really unhappy, then, you know, there's something else going on there. And why aren't we feeling okay to say, I, I'm not okay? Yeah. That's the conversation that I'm driving at the moment. Yeah. So, so Liz, what, what sort of things are in your toolkit then? What do you do as your self-care package? Yeah. I look at all the different sides. So for me, it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and also social, like relationships. So I, I'd have practices, like when I wake up in the morning, I practice mindfulness. And mindfulness is a, something that I've been doing now for about 16 years, and it has transformed my whole uh, capacity to hold myself through the tougher times, but also it's transformed the way I feel about myself. So I would, you know, highly recommend if people aren't meditating or practicing mindfulness, it's, it's key really, I think, to being able to transform your mental well-being. So I do that. I, um, I make sure I go out in nature regularly. I find being in nature really recharges me. Um, I, I will educate myself. So I'll watch TED Talks or I'll go on workshops myself. Um, if I feel like there's some something that I'm struggling with, I will reach out for help. So I've got some great friends now, you know, really trusted, solid friends. Um, but I also have professional support. I know I'm not afraid to say, mm, do you know, what? I think I need a bit more help with this. Um, and so I'll reach out for some professional support. I, I try and eat healthily, try and not to eat too much sugar. Um, <laughs> sugar was a real thing for me as a child. I used to self-soothe with it. Mm. My first addiction, I think. Um, and so I know if I'm feeling off balance, one of my key triggers is that I'm going for sugary things a lot. <laughs> and wow, so it's a red flag really for me. For a lot of people, um, yeah. It is. Yeah. It, and again, it's this secret. It's forcing it like, oh, I'll just, I'll have some chocolate. I'll have some sweets because it makes me feel better mm. in the moment. But actually then it creates another thing. Then you feel bad about that. Mm. You know, I used to beat myself up then for having eaten the sweets and, my internal dialogue was so critical towards myself. It was like, I didn't need um, my stepdad in my life anymore. He was in my head, you know, this critical tormentor abuser, was just abusing me constantly through my thoughts. So it's been about, it's been about learning about that and being able to introduce a more nurturing, <laughs> loving voice that I, um, that I use towards myself and not listening to the tormentor anymore. Did you, so, you have siblings? an older sister who's two and a half years older um and she was a rock for me throughout everything um and i also had um there was a, a a a dear cousin of mine growing up who was nine months older than me she was like an extra sister and my grandma uh used to be a safe place for me to go um she was like a beacon of unconditional love and everything i did she just told me how proud she was of me um and actually just having somebody like that in my life it was good because it meant I knew it was possible. You know, I knew that 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 sort of relationship was possible. So, so that um, was a really powerful. She was a really powerful influence uh, during my whole sort of childhood. Did she live? So, yeah, so looking in all those different. She lived about um, about twenty minutes away. Okay, so she was yeah. someone there for you. She was. So we'd go and we wouldn't talk about any of the stuff that was happening. We'd just go and have a lovely time with grandma, you know, and uh, and that was great. And then I'd. I always, you know, it was like leaving the world at her door and then picking it up again on the way, on the way back out again. But at least I had that brief respite where 
you know, everything was lovely, even if it was for a day or two. Yeah. Sorry for so interrupting about, your ritual. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just about thinking about those different areas. And for me, spirituality, I, I was just mentioning that to you before we came on the call, but I was so closed off to religion. Um, I was christened a Catholic and I had this, I had this uh, belief system that, uh, you know, I was going to be punished. God was going to punish me for what I'd done. And so I kind of re rejected religion. Um, took all these drugs as, as in my 20s and then I went to India the whole series of events that led me to going on a big traveling trip and I was on this beach in South India and um, a Dutch girl said to me can I give you some Reiki and I was I had no idea what she was talking about and she said it was well, a it sounds drug. a bit weird <laughs> it sounds a bit yeah and actually I'd, <laughs> 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 and I'd gone traveling to kind of get away from all the drugs and everything and, um, she said, you just have to lie down fully clothed um, <laughs> for an hour. And I, I, I'd, I'd met her a few times and I just thought, oh, you know, I'm traveling. I'm open to new ideas. I'll just, you know, whatever. It all sounds a bit weird. But she wouldn't really tell me what it was. She said, just experience it. And so she started giving me Reiki. And I felt, honestly, it was like so blissful. It was like waves of bliss. And I hadn't had any drugs <laughs> and um, she didn't even touch me. You know, it was hands off Reiki. Yeah. She was lying there thinking, what on earth is going on? But it was almost like I couldn't quite catch my breath that the, it was so intense. And um, I think now looking back, it was a Kundalini awakening that actually yeah. you know, kind of blew my chakras open. And she'd only just learned Reiki. <laughs> so it was a whole new thing for her. It's like, it surprised both of us. But it, it really, like, really opened me up to a whole different perception. What, what was that, you know, that I wanted yeah. to know more about that. And so that led me on this amazing holistic journey. I actually trained in Reiki while I was during that trip. I trained in Reiki one and then Reiki two, and then I did some shamanic stuff. And oh, yeah. I love that, that's <laughs> my favorite. Shamanic is my, I think I go I so much, but it is, I am blown away by it actually. Well, I was, I was in Thailand. <laughs> Um, we did it in this yoga studio, which is built into the Thai jungle. And this guy there, he used to wear these sarongs that had a sun, a sun on the back. And he said, I wear these to remind me that the sunshine really does shine out of my backs. <laughs> <laughs> he was so irreverent. He was brilliant. And we, we, it was like an eight day program. And he used to give us these shamanic props. <laughs> it really felt like but of course it was from you know plants and different things and then we'd lie down and go on these shamanic journeys and it it for me i felt like i was harry potter i felt like i'd entered some sort of hogwarts rabbit you know, hole some, some sort of rabbit hole and one day he said i want you all to go into the thai jungle and respectfully ask a tree for a branch to make a magic wand and i was thinking if people at home see what was going on they're gonna think oh my gosh he really has lost the plot <laughs> but it felt so good. It, I felt like, God, this is all amazing, you know, magical, really. So I went out, we'd have these drops, and I was thinking, what am I looking for? You know, how is this tree going to... And suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, this tree um, branch waved, and, and there wasn't any um, breeze. And I thought, okay. So I turned around, and then this branch was, like, waving at me. And I thought, God, this is really strange. And so I stood there, and I just was like, okay, please might I take this branch? Um, and then it and then it moved again. I said, "I'll take that as a yes." <laughs> and took took the branch, took it off, and and went back with me, going, "I've got one, I've got one." Everyone came back with their own kind of 
magic wands. This guy had like a Gandalf staff like this, you know, it was huge. And another lady, he was very petite, he came back with like a little tiny end with a little leaf on it. She had, that was her. So we all had these very different And did uh, they branches. have the same experiences as you? They'd all had their own amazing sort of, you know, very connecting experience. Yeah. It was so, it was like, God, like, oh. And so I used to then practice my Reiki, like holding the, the um, my magic wand at the same time. But it was, it was like so surreal. And then I came back from that trip and I'd been away for 16 months. After I'd done that shamanic course, three days later, I was in my sister's kitchen back in Kingston going, what is going on? It's like my whole world had just completely changed and I was yeah. back in a, in, a, in a reality that I knew before. It was exactly the same, but I was completely, you know, it was a process then of reintegration. I just carried on that journey really, of, and I'm still on that journey. I love learning about new things, new yeah. ways of being, new perceptions. And I always say the only thing I know now is that I don't know anything really, but I'm open to everything, you know, so yeah. I love exploring and... I love um, that saying, actually. I think that's a really good yeah. way to say it because I think for us as well, in this, in this job particular, we yeah. really sort of, I mean, I, like, oh, I, I, I'm like, that's like, shamanic to me was like the next level. Like, we've gone through lots of different things. But for me, I was like, no, this is it. This is, but I think you have to be really open to it, don't you? I think the next, yes. you're going to be introduced to so many, like you have done, so many different spiritual levels of things. Yes. Exactly. And it's the open-mindedness that will get you through it sampling all these different things it's so true and actually what i say now as well is open heart so it's open mind but also open heart um because we've all been very mind focused of course and a lot of the the shift that's happening at the moment i think is going from from head to heart it's certainly been my um my own journey but things that i really believed i mean when i had my spiritual awakening and all of that i was almost like this is it you know i've cracked it and then over the years realized okay i was looking back I was very naive but it felt so amazing at the time and it felt you know for the first time really I felt connected to something you yeah. know I hadn't felt connected to anything and then suddenly I didn't have to believe all the religious dogma but there was something that I was connected to that's connected to you and me and everything um, and I can connect to it through my heart and through my intention and I can get support from it and I can you know I, I can um, tap into it and I remember seeing somebody talk once and she said she was actually uh, an angelologist. So she, you know, she, her work was connecting with angels. And she said every time she told someone what she did, they'd kind of back away uh, from her. But she was also a doctor, like a medical doctor. Oh. But she would, she said this phrase, um, I actually put in my book, but it struck with me so much, was that if it helps you have a better day and it doesn't hurt anyone else, why wouldn't you believe it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I can't, I can't argue with that. And so I, yeah. you know, so I believe whatever brings me more connection, more joy, more comfort, more, you know, more happiness, more um, serenity. I believe all of those things, if, if that's what they help me mm. to feel, why wouldn't I? Mm. <laughs> and anything that doesn't, then I, you know, I, let, I try and let all those things go. Welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores.
going back to your when you you know you realized that you had ptsd and you had gone through it for many years and then you'd obviously you went to see someone to help you deal with that um yeah the stages of that are quite big because ptsd is a big thing and actually you hear about it a lot more now don't you um and for anybody who at the moment is sort of trying to recognize the signs of this you know what what are the signs of it I think for me it was intense fear so I you know bonfire night was actually the worst night of the year for me hearing fireworks was almost like I was being shocked you know it was like that intense a really intense sort of um fear reaction to things that other people don't have I think that's that's an indication if you're feeling really disconnected is another one like I said I felt like I was in this perfect box and I couldn't quite connect with the world if you can't quite connect to others or the world or yourself there's something going on um it could be that you are self-medicating a lot you know you might notice the the ways you're trying to make yourself feel better um which could be a lot of prescription drugs or um, alcohol it could be um, sex or shopping or gambling you know all of those things are indications that there's probably a level of trauma but amazing guy called gabor mate i don't know if you've come uh, across yeah yeah i read the work. book and he says that addiction, as human beings, we're all, uh, all we want is to try and get, uh, be happy. Mm-hmm. And actually, addictions are a way for us to try and feel happy. And so when we're, when we're in our addictions, we're just trying to feel happy. Mm-hmm. And so what is that? What, why are we not feeling happy? That's where we can start to look. So if someone's feeling disconnected, if they're self-medicating, if they're having intense fear reactions, because PTSD specifically is, is flashbacks. Um, but I, I stopped having visual flashbacks, thank goodness, but seeing, I used to have nightmares about the, the moment of the accident, which you can imagine is very trauma, re-traumatizing. But actually that stopped, I kept having feeling flashbacks. And this is what's not understood by a lot of people. So when I heard the fireworks, I'd have a feeling flashback. So the feeling would be like I was back in that moment on the field, that, that intense feeling of terror was, was the same. It was just getting triggered. Um, which again was very debilitating and you know lots of people around me didn't understand either what I was going through so that was difficult um, for them so it could be some of the symptoms that you've got rage it could be that you've got intense rage that you know I used to have abnormal reactions so someone would say something and I'd have like even if I might not say it out loud but in my head I'd have a rage reaction that could be something that people are going through that you're feeling really snappy a lot of the time that could be an indication that something else happening inside um not sleeping is another yeah. one you know was that a big thing uh, for you it was a massive thing for me as a teenager i wouldn't get to sleep till sometimes three or four in the morning and then i'd have to get up for school three hours later you know and i'd just be exhausted and then the whole thing would carry on you know looking back you know how did i get through but i think it was just day by day really um getting through so yeah there are these and i think the thing to remind people not even not even remind but educate people is you don't have to be through something as traumatic as me to have ptsd you know it could be a divorce or a bereavement you know a lot of people have ptsd from childhood and not know it because it was when their parents divorced and it was really quite traumatic for them um you know it could be um witnessing something or it might be hearing something you know we can still have these trauma reactions um it's a lot more common than people realize i think um and even me who'd been through such a major trauma it wasn't picked up and i had to go and 
and ask for the assessment. So I think if you know that you're feeling bad, you're not feeling connected and it's been going on for a little while, then just, you know, go and talk to somebody about it. And if you don't get the right help, just keep going and keep asking. I didn't get the right help for a long time. But I could yeah, feel, I thought, this isn't right. You know, something isn't right. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, that's the whole one size doesn't fit all mm. thing. You know, truly, that's why we say it. Because some people sometimes stop when they get to the first person and they're like, you know, oh, that, that isn't going to solve it. That's it. I've done it. I tried. But that's not the way to yes. be at all, is it? No. And I, I had to try and try and try and try. But just, I'd say, learn because one thing we have if we've been through trauma is maybe not trusting our instincts. And so for me, it's been a big part of my process is learning to trust myself. And I knew, I'm very intuitive anyway, and that's got to become much stronger as I've been processing my stuff. I knew something wasn't right. I just didn't know what it was. And so trust your instincts and also trust that you do have the right to be happy. You know, no, we're not meant to be struggling through life. I think we all deserve to be happy and balanced. And there is no shame in saying that you're struggling. And if somebody isn't listening to you, um, then find somebody else who will. You know, there's all sorts of organizations now. Even if you have to get on a waiting, I had to wait five months for my CBT trauma treatment a few years ago, but I waited because I knew I needed it. And it's better to be on the list than not, not on it. Yeah. Would you, where would you say you are with your healing now? Are you healed or are you still healing? What, what you <laughs> I think it's, um, I think there's no end point. I think that's the thing. It, that's the other misconception that I used to think just wake up one day and everything will be sorted and you know it's not like that and sometimes I um can get triggered but um then as I said before then I will reach out for help so I've recently had some EMDR sessions I don't know if you've heard of them the eye movement desensitization reprocessing um and they really helped me so it's different levels really I think um you know most of the time I can function well and I've got all my toolkit and I do do things to support myself um, but sometimes I realise, oh, actually, this feels like it's coming from a much deeper place. And so then I reach out for help. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, I, I really love your honesty, actually. Mm. I think it's that, that in itself is so helpful to people. Yeah, I'm in awe, to be honest, Liz. I'm sitting again. I felt, I felt, um, I felt a bit sick when you told your story, if I'm honest. And then I got emotional and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> It's such, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how that must have felt for you. I'm getting emotional now. (laughs) Like you say, such an abnormal, such an abnormal thing to happen. And to have, goodness knows how many years trying to deal with that. And, you know, and you're still trying to deal with it. It's just amazing. Thank you so much. But I think in sharing what I've learned so far and helping people to realise that they're okay. If you're struggling, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and that actually, yes, most of the time I'm absolutely brilliant and I feel really great. You know, I wake up in the morning most days feeling great. And sometimes I don't. Yeah. And actually that's okay. You know, so that, that's, that's your yeah. honesty with it as well. And like you say, obviously you've been through something traumatic, but you are very good at saying as well, like, you know, other people can go through this, but in just a different way. Yeah, you know, well, people used to, you know, 
And that's the truth yeah, of that, sorry. actually, isn't it? That, that's the truth that people suffer different tra traumas in different ways. Yours is just really unusual. You don't hear it that much. And, and the way that we've brought up it, that's the shock, you know, like it's, like it's the shock of that type of trauma, isn't it? And, but, you know, I think for us, it's the fact that, you know, that you, at that point, would it have been different now? Yes, definitely. Because you had to really use 30 years to find that help, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. And it would be different today, but you know, there's, there's other challenges today. Thank God we didn't have social media back then. Oh, I think, oh, I don't yes. know what I've been, I don't know what I would oh, have done that if that had other level. Um, you know, and that's what young people are struggling with now in different ways. You know, I'm sure they're traumatized in many different ways through all I mean, the- And it's terrible what it does to them on all aspects because social media for teens can literally ruin their lives. Um, through oh, everything, gosh, yeah. it's it's just how you know, like, and the amount of bullying that can go on on it, and all kinds of stuff actually that people, you know, you you can't see as adults or whatever. Mm -hmm. you've got teenage kids. I mean, that's that's pretty scary in itself, well, isn't that's it? Trauma, isn't it? That's trauma for a child. Um, it's trauma. It is, and at least. Yeah, when I was being picked on at school, I could leave it at school, even though mentally it was in my head, but I didn't have to keep looking at it on the phone or, you know, on the internet and things. I, I, yeah, it's really tough for them. I think it's a whole different thing that needs addressing, actually, and, you know, more responsibility around how the internet is used and all the social media things. I know it's starting to get better, but I think there's, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. So you've just recently moved, haven't you? Um, we were talking about yeah. that. Um, and is this part of your process? You're, you're finding somewhere, because you, you say you like to connect in nature. Um, you know, is that, was that always a dream to move a bit more into nature? Yes, and I think um, having lived with PTSD for such a long time, you know, my nervous system has taken a beating, mm. even though, um, you know, I'm healing. Um, more and more all the time and I have had some physical you know we hold trauma in our bodies that's another thing that uh, isn't yet widely known so there's, there's there's different levels of trauma and how it's held and so for me you know I'm in the Cotswolds now and I can walk out from my front door and I'm just in beautiful nature and I can feel my whole system just calming down you know when I first moved out from London I could almost feel it sort of jangling wow we just don't know the impact that um, some things are having on us until we remove ourselves. So yes, my work now is, you know, transitioned to be online so I could live anywhere. And so I thought, why not live in one of the most beautiful parts of the country and just have a gentler pace of life because that's going to really support my nervous system and my overall well-being. Mm. Can I ask as well, sorry, because I'm totally fascinated by you. I think you're one of the yeah. best people I've ever met kind of thing. But like in terms of how have you developed your relationships as an adult through what, what happened to you as a child? Yeah, it's been a process, definitely. I had a lot of anger, a lot of anger for all the key adults in my life for not, not being there really when I, or not being who I needed them to be. But I think through my own process, what I've realised is... Um, I can't judge someone else because I don't know what they're going through. So, you know, the key adults in my life have had their own stuff, have got their own stuff going on from their own childhoods and things. So it helped me then as I, as I made friends with my own pain to kind of drop the judgment towards other people. And that helped to strengthen relationships. 
But I've also developed something called connected communication, which is a, another part of my work. And it's, it's embodying core values. So one of them is equal dignity, which I love. If we could just get equal dignity in all the schools <laughs> across the world, I think we'd have a different planet. So equal dignity is that I really respect your right to be you, even if I completely disagree with it. With, with anything about you I still respect your right to be you and that shifts everything yeah you know that 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 respecting your right to be you and not trying to make you anything different and also respecting my right to be me that's the equal part um and that has transformed my relationships and I take personal responsibility for my feelings I don't blame other people mm. so things happened and school had responsibility you know other people in my life had responsibility but if I blame them I'm just stuck with the blame. I'm stuck in blame. That's hurting me, not them. I don't want to hurt me anymore. I don't want to hurt me. So I, I found a way to have more compassion for them, let go of the blame and also take responsibility. If I've been angry, then I've processed my anger and I've worked through it. I don't have to do it with those particular people. I can do it with a therapist and you know, process that anger virtually speaking. <laughs> I can pretend the person is there. Um, and, and off, offload the anger that way rather than having to and sometimes I have also had very honest conversations with people and told them how what they did impacted me um, but some people like my stepdad are not in my life thank goodness um, and haven't been for a long time but the anger and his tormentor voice was still very much with me so I've done my own sort of processing work around that yeah because um, I I have never been married and you know there's a reason for that <laughs> and yeah. I think because there was so much trauma growing up and um, you know I made a conscious decision because I kept attracting abusive men which is often what happens if you're brought up with one uh, but I made a conscious decision not to be in a relationship until I could love myself more otherwise I knew I'd keep attracting those men um, so I think I'm just about you know I've made the move to the Cotswolds and I feel like I'm you know in a good place to be able to open up I'd love to share my life with a, a loving man. That would be, for me, that would be, you know, a great next part of my adventure. And actually, you totally deserve that. Mm. Um, oh, thank you. you. Know, you <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just like in awe, you know. <laughs> I haven't quite gone to Dina, but I'm kind of like, <laughs> Dina can no longer talk. Um, <laughs> but I, right I'm now. just listening to you say that, and I'm like, you, you're absolutely right. Somebody... Mm you know you're a very special person and somebody has to be as special as you to come to you that's how I feel about about somebody I've just met an hour ago <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes you people say really to honest. <laughs> something about you though yeah. very magical this I feel like I'm just oh. being like look I just feel really comfortable with you and I just feel yeah. like you know, it's just really honest. I want, you know, I, I've only met you like 45 minutes ago. I want the best for you, Les. I just don't want to, I, I, will, I will meet all of them before you. We're going to do your dating profile. <laughs> yes, please do, because I'm not shut. You know what I would say is, often people say to me, oh, but what I'm going through is not fair what you yeah. just Can we just let go of the comparisonitis around it? You know, if you're feeling pain, pain is pain, pain is pain is pain. And if you're struggling, you're struggling. And, you know, there's, I'm, I've hopefully um, not a non-judgmental person and, and have as much compassion. And I think, you know, the, the most important thing is if you are struggling, you're feeling pain and it's going on to just make sure you speak to somebody and get some help because you deserve much better. Yeah. 
And that's, you know, just like really for me, I'm just like listening to your story, listening to your honesty about, you know, your whole going through the drugs and everything, you know, like you hear that throughout your lives, you know, people do all that kind of stuff, but yours makes sense because of the way that you're very truthful about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the key to a lot of this is to be truthful, to be authentic. And, and that's what a lot of people don't do. But, but, you know, like I said, I've been speaking to you for 45 minutes. I feel like I, don't you feel like, you know, I feel like I've known you for, I feel like, come oh. on then, pop over in half an hour. Let's <laughs> I'm counselling with you, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Come to the Cotswolds, ladies. We're very yeah, well. <laughs> but you know what it is? We're getting in I the car in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I made a commitment to myself when I realised. So it's something about this is part of my communication. It's about being in our integrity. And what does that mean? And I know now if I'm in my integrity or if I'm not by the way that I feel. Mm. And I've made a commitment to myself to live life in my integrity, and that means being truthful. That means having those difficult conversations. That means um, feeling those uncomfortable emotions because actually I want to love myself much as I possibly can. A bit of my my new mission is just to love myself more and more and more and all those disjointed, rejected parts of me, just been gathering them all back in to say, it's okay, you're safe, I love you. You know, it's been the process really. I think that's the process for all of us. Mm, it's yeah. about how can we love ourselves even more. And one of the things I say to my coaching clients is have an intention of how can I be kinder to myself today? Yeah, and I think we're, we're so unkind to ourselves in our thoughts oh, and in our actions. Mm. So if we just have that focus, especially as women, how can I be kinder to myself? Even if even if it's a loving word, or it might be ha- having a bubble bath, or just you know taking five minutes for yourself if you've got kids and it's overwhelming. But just having that focus, then the intention starts to create ways which we in which we can be kinder to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that thing, isn't it, as well? Because when you be future, you know, as humans, we have like sixty thousand thoughts a day, and most of yeah. those thoughts are repeated. So they mm-hmm. they are really hard to kind of get out of because we are habitual creatures, and they're critical yeah. and they're negative. Yeah, yeah, but they come back, yes. they come back, they come back, mm-hmm. don't they? And but what we've got yeah. to try and do is add in the new ones mm-hmm. and get them in yeah. the machine and keep processing in the good ones. And that's why you know I try to say to a lot of my clients is just let's just one at a time, just add in another crowd out the bad yeah because yeah and you're to reject example of that though liz for me listening to you today you are a fantastic example of somebody who has worked worked really hard to heal themselves Um, and that is you know because i've met plenty of people who put a lid on stuff and they're Mm -hmm. they're still stuck where they were 20 years ago yeah. And you're not stuck. You have continued no. to keep going. And this is why I think this is so powerful, don't you? Mm, definitely. And I've got some other suggestions for you to try, Liz, if you haven't. Oh. TRE and QEC. Oh, no, TRE I tried. Oh, did you? What did you Not think? QEC. Um, yeah, it didn't really work that well for me. Not, not TRE, but I, I haven't tried the other one. Okay, QEC. I'm training in QEC. How <laughs> are you? Special anyway, role. Come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be up to the Cotswolds. <laughs> and I think the TRE might have been the the um, instructor because that's a you know that's very important part of it, isn't it? And yeah, yeah we know a really really good TRE instructor down the road from us. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would a hundred percent, hundred and fifty percent recommend yeah. her actually. 
Yeah. Well, I know a great shaman as well who lives not far from you, ladies. Um, Oh, because my shaman's in St. Lucia, so we Zoom, actually. Oh, he's in uh, Godalming. This is the spiritual conversation of us. Godalming and he works with women. Oh, and I'm moving, I'm moving actually soon, so I'm moving further. Ah. So I'll be like, that would be very, it's all meant to be. Yeah, all meant to be. Liz, I have really enjoyed talking to you. I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't find the words. (laughs) Find the words for me, please. Enough, enough. (laughs) I think we've said it. I think we've said it. We've loved having you on. Absolutely awe-inspiring. Where Um, can people find you? Um, what, What links have you got? I've got my website. So it's just to remember that it's Liz with an S, S for Sierra. L-I-S and then cashin, liscashin.com, my website. Because it's an unusual name, if you just type it in, it, it'll come up with all my social media um, handles. So I'm just redoing my website at the moment and my book coming out in the autumn, which for all of the things that I've learned, um, it's called This Is Me. And that's the second edition will be out very soon. It's got a lot of the mental health well-being stuff in there. So I'm excited about that. No, that's really good. And you're a global speaker as well. Where do you speak? Did you do a TED talk? I've done a TEDx, yeah. It's called Mental Health Awakening, Suffering is Surmountable. Did that last year. That was a big life goal ticked. Wow, that's Um, amazing. So that was exciting. I spoke in Dubai in February, just before lockdown. (laughs) I managed to get in just before. Um, and and I've also done global speaking online so I've done it to like people around the world um, but from the comfort of my living room it's quite bizarre in your pyjamas in my pyjamas yes so I'm um, in the corporate world I speak I also do well-being festivals um, mind body spirit festivals Mm. anywhere really I just want to raise awareness and, and share the messages as I say I think there's so many people who are struggling and actually it helps my mental well-being if I help somebody else that's the other thing you know it's another great thing I've learned is loving is giving and the more I give and give from a space of just giving then the more I receive you know it's not not giving and not giving conditionally but just this is what I've learned if it helps you please take it if it doesn't you know leave it mm. so there's no expectation on my part either and if somebody's listening today who, like us, thinks, you know, wow, this is a person that I just resonate with, they might be having issues with PTSD, what are your top three tools that you could give them just to take away today to help them feel a little bit better? I think understanding that you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal event, that if you're okay, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're having an abnormal, you know, your, your reactions you're having are normal. I would say um, be in nature a lot if you can. You're feeling that, you know, you let your nervous system really ground. You need to, because when we have people, we can be very out here. So grounding can be really good. And to know that if you're in the moment, you're having the reaction, is that you are in this moment and it actually the trigger is happening to something that's past now. So if you can look around the room and just say what you can see, what you can hear, you know around the room so I can see the wall I can see that it can help you to bring you back into this moment rather than be in the trauma and go and get some help because if you haven't already you really need to get some help thank you again Liz for coming on our show we're really you know have loved meeting you and listening to you speak um, we'd love to meet you again soon but I'm sure you know our audience will find you um, thank you so much from me and me
Lovely. Thank to you so you. much, ladies. I've loved, I've loved talking to you. Thank you. Oh, lovely to meet you, Liz. Take care. Bye. Thank you.